Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. After a week dominated by mind-numbing debates around last Sunday's debacle of a refereeing performance against Tottenham, the Reds eased to a comfortable 2-0 win at Anfield on Thursday evening against Union Sanchez. Though Klopside are no doubt keen to bounce back from last Sunday's unjust defeat. They face a stern test this Sunday as they head to the seaside to take on Roberto De Zerbi's Brighton. Joining me on the pod to, this week to lend us his insight into the Seagulls' development under the Italian, the departures of Caicedo and McAllister, along with expectations for the season ahead, I'm delighted to welcome on Alan Wares from Brighton podcast, Albion Raw. Welcome on, Alan. Good to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Looking forward to a, a huge Barney. Absolutely, right? Yeah, I think it's um, the games between Brighton and Liverpool over the past few seasons have been some of the most competitive. Uh, I think Liverpool have certainly faced, uh, like, like, I think the organisation of the team, the 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 positive like approach of the team, uh, and just the lack of fear. I think on show has has led to some really really intriguing contests, and I think I'm, I mean, I'm expecting no different this season. Even though sort of maybe Liverpool's fortunes have have improved somewhat since the last couple of clashes. But yeah, I mean, this week has, of course, been dominated by, dominated by VAR and discussions around, 
Um, Don't get me started on VAR, mate. Listen, yeah, yeah. for all, for all <laughs> Liverpool fans are complaining about it, I think that we actually sit at the top of the pile in actually uh, entitlement of VAR's teeth needing kicking in. Mm. Oh, yeah. So I was just going to say, actually, there's, uh, I know there's been a number of uh, pretty contentious, to say the least, decisions that Brighton have been on the other end of this season. Has, I think Howard Webb has Roberto De Zerbi on speed dial, believe me, especially after sort of what happened early this year. Do you know what? Is that, that was at Spurs as well. It, mm. is, is there kind of a, this, I don't know, this um, force field of stupidity that VAR just cannot get their heads through at, at, at Spurs' ground? Because the game that we had up there last season was, and I have to say this, I can't think of another way of putting it, bent. Mm. Obviously, the, 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 the howlers, the, the, the issues that we have, I mean, with, with your one from last yeah. weekend, I mean, of course it was, it was stupid. And, and then listening to the recording, you just realize that it's just basically oh. a bunch, a bunch of sort of, um, old people, Luddites who have just bowled in from the pub. Who have no idea what they're doing, whilst the the, the kiddie is actually operating the stuff, saying, "Look, shall I tell you the laws of the game, mate?" Yeah, the postgraduate student was the only one, wasn't he? It was, it was, yeah, whoever it was, he was none, the none of the operator. referees. <laughs> I mean, the replay op- operator. I mean, there's as a, 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 a job title for nerds, but you know, he's now walking on air. That bloke, um, and whoever he is, I still don't think we got to the bottom of what his name is. Um, you know, he's he's the the hero of the week. No, I mean, just to, to recap, I mean, if you rewind to us, but our game again at, at Spurs last season, we lost 2-1. That yeah. was the, that was the headline. And, oh, of course, every single fan will moan about Vars just done us this. That was clearly a blatant penalty. Why hasn't this done? And somewhere down the line, a technicality can be made for any given argument. Mm. Um, but when you've got Dermot Gallagher, who will actually defend the referees, <clears throat> <laughs> until until his backside falls off, you know, saying, "Well, that should have been a penalty. That should have been a penalty." I can't work out why. I think that fans, as a, as a rule, and I'm, I'm, we can all have our minds, and and they all probably cover a similar theme. And I think probably what we've got to learn this week is is how we move on, and not just PG Mall and VAR, but I think fans also need to learn how to move on as well. And I think that if there was some kind of either transparency, not total transparency, that would be madness. But if there was some kind of transparency about how a decision is arrived at, we wouldn't have half these discussions. Maybe. Would you be in favor of the, of the mic'd up sort of approach that we see in other sports where sort of a, like a referee sort of stops and goes, okay, this is what I think has happened. And then you, and you hear the deliberation. Well, yes and no. Having heard the, the conversation that PG released, <laughs> I would say no, because it sounds like utter chaos. Mm. I mean, you've got three or four different voices, so you have absolutely no idea what's going on. Now, with Test Match Rugby or with the cricket, you'll hear yeah. two voices. One is, is this out? No, it's not. The other one is, is that a try? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Whatever. You hear two voices, and that's all you want to hear. But in this, you've got the the VAR, the assistant VAR, the replay operator, um, the 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 ice cream seller, you know, the the cyclist that goes through the red. You've got everyone piling in on it, and I think that one thing going forward that wouldn't hurt, and I and I am loath to have football running to the laws of cricket or running to the laws of rugby. Oh, if this works in rugby, why can't it work in football? Well, it doesn't, that's not necessarily the case. 
But if we're talking about the officials, the people who officiate the game, there's got to be a better line of communication. Yeah. Even if it sounds like they're talking to their best friends, their mates that they know, they have to use appropriate protocols. Okay, you know, like for instance, okay, Liverpool player has scored a goal, on-field decision is offside, VAR, can you clarify? Yep. Yeah. Unambiguous. Um, and you've got the, the thing saying, no, they're both holding hair out. Oh, no, I'm going to call it back. And, I'll be, and it sounds like Peter O'Sullivan at the racing. That's one for the old kids there. But it sounds like Peter O'Sullivan at the racing. You can't hear half what's going on. Between them, there's a conversation of six people. Now, that might be fine for the referees and the VAR. I don't know. But it wouldn't be any good for us fans listening in to the mic'd up conversation. So I think if we had it where if VAR and a system VAR and whatever it is are all talking to each other, but one person within that room, within that office, gets heard mm. and speaks to the referee, so you can't hear the assistant referee, you can't hear the fourth official, all you hear is the referee and the VAR person, whoever it is, the 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 correspondent who's supposed to say what is going on, everyone else is mic'd off, then you might have some semblance and they and they have a protocol of whatever it is. And if it happens to be for the half a dozen, dozen whatever it is scenarios that VAR covers, then write them down and get them sorted. Yeah. Completely agree. I mean, I think I think you're right there. Two voices, like don't overcomplicate it. I mean, based off the evidence I've seen is in the past couple of days, just the referee on the pitch and the replay operator should should suffice, to be honest, just having a chat well, amongst yeah, themselves based upon, yeah. <laughs> based well, upon their knowledge of the game. But I mean, actually, one decision that I've definitely seen uh, come up, actually, or been discussed in the aftermath of that Liverpool decision uh, was the one around, uh, like, uh, which I'm sure I, I, mean, I, I don't want to anger you too much, it was the one obviously around Man United being awarded a penalty after full time against yourselves, which uh, I think was one of those examples of, well, I, I, I think obviously the debate was around, oh, we can't possibly stop the game because they've, you know, they've restarted it, they've, kicked, they've, they've had a free kick. But that, I mean, that seemed particularly strange as well. Well, actually, that particular law... And, and we all remember the game very well because it, well, one, it was during lockdown. So everyone watched it on the oh. telly. Yeah, you dominated them from, from yeah, Well, we, we hit the bar five times. I mean, I mean, without wishing to sound like an alcoholic, hitting the bar five times would normally be a good thing. Um, <laughs> and I'm looking at you, Leandro Trossard, doing it three times. Well done, son. Um, but yes, no, the, the, the beef that we have about that is, is that actually we all understood and we knew that the law was the case that. And this is even before VAR came in that you could actually have a penalty kick awarded after the full time was sort of gone because you could have right. had a situation where linesman, let's say, face it, in this instance has preceded VAR flagging like a loony because he saw an infringement. Then referee blows the whistle and the linesman says, actually, I was flagging first. Um, okay. What was it? I think that so and so I would give a penalty. The referee at that point, is entitled to give a penalty after the final whistle. The only thing about that thing then is when that penalty kick is taken after the final whistle, and I say it's not the first time it's happened, there is precedent for it, is that once the ball stops travelling forward, then that's it, game over. So if the keeper saves it and someone follows in, then it's no goal. It's 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 almost like it's the, the shootout rule, penalty shootout rule. So as soon as the ball stops moving forward towards the goal, 
Um, that's it. Keeper saves, rebound goes in, no goal. That's it. So we see that our beef on that game was actually about the timing. And we're back to Fergie time here. We saw that Solly March had equalised on 94 minutes and 45 seconds. And given that the, the board had gone up for five minutes for, for you know, on, on, on 90 minutes, it had oh, gone up right. for five extra time. We're all going, okay, there's a bit of celebration, a bit of cheering. So there's 15 seconds. So after 15 seconds after kickoff, that should be it. And the game carried on for another two or three minutes. Don't get me wrong. Neil Morpay was stupid to stick his hand up in the air. Penalty was a correct decision. Even penalty after full time, a correct decision. But our beef was actually about, hang on, where did these extra two or three minutes come from? Getting back to while I'm on full ramp mode last season against Spurs, it was actually five incidents, including VAR not actually following its own rules. There was Mitoma had his foot trod on. It was accidental, but it's still a penalty. Lewis Dunk had his shirt pulled by two hands from the same bloke. So it wasn't even a case of a casual thing. This bloke really wanted Lewis Dunk's shirt. You had the disallowed goal, which Welbeck shot, hit McAllister on the way through. Uh, VAR said it was handball. It wasn't clear and obvious that it was handball. It looked more like the hip. And then there was a couple of other contentious ones. There is something about going to Spurs that actually um, any football fan who wants to have a fair and just refereeing game should really be concerned about. Oh, yeah. and don't right. get me started. Oh, and don't get me started on the Crystal Palace game uh, last season, where Purvis Estupinian scored a perfectly good goal. Ah, uh, yes. And VAR overruled it. The ref, the the on pitch um, decision was goal. There was no flag. Um, and VAR drew its lines and settled on the wrong Palace defender, who. Yeah. If you'd have followed that line, would put Pervin Estupian uh, offside. But if they'd have put it on the right defender, he would have been onside and he'd have scored a good goal. So, you know, it's the, the apologies that we get really don't actually matter because the following week, Roberto Di Zerbi went to the referee and said, I had two hours of my time wasted this week because you and your colleagues can't do your job properly. He ended up with a touchline ban and a 15 grand fine for that. This is the thing, isn't it? I think it's just, uh, I think there's the need, obviously, to, to, to improve the process, to improve the transparency, to, to probably improve the individuals based on sort of what I've heard as well. And yeah, I think every club has, has a story of some, of Absolutely. some nature. I just think that, yeah, just these, the past weekend's activities, perhaps the lowest ebb they've managed to produce. So let's, I mean, let, let, let's, well, let's I hope think it you, gets better. I, I think the issue you've got this with this one is and I think that there's there's the media part of it as well, is it's the highest profile um big cock up. Because mm. like I say with the, the 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 big cock ups we were talking about last season with Brighton, it was only Brighton, you know, plucky Brighton, the ones that are actually doing well under Deserby. Who are we doing you know, whereas Liverpool be and Spurs, two of the big six sides. And therefore I mean, I suppose if 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 it was Manchester United against one of the other big six sides when Wolves didn't get their penalty. So if it would have been Manu against Liverpool or Manu against Arsenal, you'd have probably had the same level of screaming. But like I say, what you've got this time around is because you've now got a level of transparency, which frankly, under Howard Webb's predecessor, you wouldn't have had. Yeah. Um, you can hear just how clueless they are. And I think like everyone, it seems, has an idea as to how this could be remedied. Uh, including yours truly, whether that works or not is another matter. But you also think, well, surely Howard Webb is going through all the various transcripts of all the VAR matches 
just to actually see how it can be improved. Why, you know, even if it's going okay, even if there's no problems, which clearly they are. I mean, probably, you know, 90% of VAR um, decisions are correct. And some some of them have to be put down to opinions. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think... I think again, that's why some of these. I mean, we'll definitely move on from this now. I think it's it's yeah, it's easily a topic that you can talk about for a long time. And it's uh, as we said, so many people have their own views on how to how it should be remedied. But I think yeah, especially for decisions around offside, like you mentioned with Estepan's um, uh, goal that was ruled out incorrectly as well. You think that yeah, football at times like you, you understand the nuance and, and the subjectivity in some of the decision making, but. Like goal line technology, offsides, those should hopefully be some of the more binary rules in the game, right? Where you can just have a clear right or wrong, hopefully. Um, uh, yeah, you, uh, you, well, it has you changed hope- one aspect of the laws, hasn't it? It means there's no such thing as a level anymore. No, no, no. It seems to have, seems to have gone, but. Anyway, we'll, 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 we'll drag ourselves away from VAR. Uh, I'm sure the, the internet will continue to to rumble on that, uh, especially thanks to Jürgen's nice comments around. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, game replayed. He, he didn't actually ask for it to get replayed, as everyone's been saying, but it's basically no, said that like it, in it some utopian idea, yeah. universe, <laughs> get replayed. It's yeah, not going to no. get replayed. But uh, I think, yeah. Uh, I, think I think his think follow-up he... statement was absolutely correct. It will set a precedent, which we really don't want to go down that road. Oh, of course, but that's not going to be <laughs> reported. No, of course not. I mean, this is, uh... this is the point, is that we've now got technology dictating human error. You know, the point is, is that a lot of people actually said, we don't want VAR, let's have the game. You know, we don't want it to be automated or uh, robotized. We want it to be human. Well, you've got the humanist of human errors there. And, <laughs> you know, those are the those are the things you live with. I mean, I, I don't know if there is a precedent or is a, a, a protocol or anything in place that says, okay, this game was clearly so wrong that we've got to, I think that yeah. it's happened a few times in Germany where goals got awarded, where the ball clearly was nowhere near the line. But whether we're, we're crossing that threshold just yet, I, I'd be interested to know what that threshold is right now. Yeah, we'll see for sure. Uh, and yeah, okay, crudely ripping myself away from that and uh, to to, to well, focus on, Bri- on Brighton. I know, which is um, <laughs> to, to talk about uh, Brighton, of course. And I think it's every time I've discussed with Brighton fans or sort of journalists in, over the past couple of years, um, it's been sort of a fascinating story, obviously, of sort of the the rise and rise and sort of the just the the evidence of a very well-run football club. And I, I wanted to ask you to cast your mind back to the end of last season, uh, obviously finishing in a really strong way under Roberto De Zerbi, 
And ultimately ending up, what was it, like sixth, sixth in the Premier League, uh, you know, semifinals of the FA Cup. Um, some like fantastic Should performances. Should have got to the all, final. Yeah, fantastic performances all across the pitch. And a manager who, you know, looked like he was, you know, you, you, you'd got the better end of the stick in terms of sort of like Graham Potter obviously departing to for Chelsea uh, and you know, it, it going as disastrously as it, as it seemed to go for him there. As it's, obviously, it seems to be a fun club to to work at. Um, <laughs> what was your what, what's your view on or what, what was your view at the end of the season in terms of where Brighton needed to improve, or perhaps the areas where they could still improve, and what were what were going to be the biggest uh, sort of like. Um, objectives for De Zerbi this season? Well, I think in order to answer that question, to give it some perspective, I'd like to go back to when the Albion appointed Roberto De Zerbi. Now, he he, he, appoint, he was appointed at a time where there weren't any games. Now, we'd, we'd had a game against Crystal Palace postponed because of a rail strike, and, and, and to leave Brighton and Palace fans on the same platform is not a good idea. Um, and then, imagine the Queen passed away, so a lot, all the games got suspended, or got, you know they, they got moved to the, further back in the season. So when Deserby turned up, he had about a good three-week clear diary for him to work with the players before the first game, which was against uh, was uh, Liverpool at Anfield. Um, and I, I'm sort of struck by Lewis Dunk's comments that he made, I think, during the close season just gone about what it was like when Deserby turned up. And he said, actually, for the first two weeks, training was absolute carnage. Carnage was the word he used. Because Deserby was trying to get his ideas across. And as much as Potter, and, and we played some lovely football under Potter, except for the, you know, the last bit of shooting and kicking the ball into the goal. Um, we played some, you know, some good stuff, but Deserby was a, a different beast again. Um, that said, I think that Deserbi's, the success that Deserbi's had um, wouldn't have been so quick if Potter hadn't been the person preceding him. If he'd have, if he'd have followed on from Hume, I think that the, the turnaround would have taken, well, frankly, as long as it took Potter. So Lewis Dunk saying that it, it was carnage and, and he was struggling to get his ideas across. Eventually, bit by bit, and by the time the Liverpool game turned up, you know, we were 2-0 up in 10 minutes, and you think, well, blimey, what is this bloke doing? So... If you take from that, and then obviously then they had the, the World Cup as a break, and so he could get his ideas across again, is that I think that absolutely everyone, and I'd say not necessarily even to the point of the end of last season, but to the point of now, a year on, is that I think that everyone, and I include Deserbi in this, is still on a, on a big learning curve. Um, because yes, Deserbi has taken his team to sixth and therefore to new heights. And here we are playing in Europe and here we are, you know, in the top six again, you know, with a, a, a club with the, the resources that actually means we should be bottom six and relegation fodder each year. Um, but because the rise has been so rapid, everyone, but everyone is on a learning curve. You know, we're used to being relegation fodder. So. We're nowhere near the final product yet, which might sound like, oh my God, how much good, better can Brighton get? But I think it's more about stabilizing things. Because we're now this relatively small club that's punching above its weight, um, individual players do come across as being uh, very attractive to other clubs. But so, there are cases, and I think this has been shown, where a given player will look good at Brighton, but not necessarily cut it at the next place. 
it doesn't work out automatically that way. Um, but of all those big players that have left, the, probably the one that's really struggling, the only one that's really struggling now is Kukurea because now, you know, Basuma's finally doing it at Spurs. Caicedo had a good game against Fulham. Um, McAllister, I'll leave to your judgment as to how you think he's started. But all the time that we're saying about, you know, we sell these players for squillions of pounds profits and get the next person in. What worries me most at the moment is you have to realize just how good Caicedo and McAllister were together and how much they were the engine of the team to the point that there was most games where very, very little beat them as a collective unit. And you can add in Adam Lallana or Pascal Gross as a third person into that mix. And so from not necessarily the end of last season, but from certainly the beginning of this one, it's about finding someone who can actually have their values and their qualities um, in order to maintain the level that we have. And right now, I don't think we have it. We have players who are coming up, but then we had Bissouma. He was a, a work in progress. Kaisida, I remember watching him for the under-23s. He was a work in progress. We've got Belieber, hopefully, who's a, who's going to be his, his replacement, but he's only played a couple of games. He's got to get hit the ground running. Um, so in terms of where we're at, the vast majority of stuff is, is either unchanged or we're okay for. It's that central engine is that the one that worries me most. And it's replacing McAllister and Caicedo, which with Gilmore, who's done okay with, Dahoud, who's okay, but needs to be stronger. Belieber, who's a work in progress. It's almost as if there's a side of it that thinks, well, can we actually have a six-week pause, let these guys get up to speed, <laughs> and then we'll say, well, now we've got every chance of being as good as we could have been at the end of last season. Yeah, no, I think I, I think whenever you replace that engine room of a team, or sort of lose players in the engine room, engine room of the team, it's 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 more complicated than just replacing them with smart signings. I think that you know, I think lots has been made, rightly so, of the sort of the, the intelligent recruitment that Brighton have mm. have 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 showcased over the past few seasons. Right, clearly doing sort of like uh, impeccable scouting work to, to 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 find the profile of players that they are, and and to to be willing to take a chance on some of these players as well. Perhaps when other clubs might may turn their nose up, you know, at these kind of prospects as well. Uh, but as you say, I mean, it's, it's, you, let's say in theory that you do bring in a player who's as good as Moise Caicedo or, or has that potential, or you brought in someone who's as good as uh, McAllister or has that potential. It's going to take them time to, to not, not only set, settle into the team, but uh, perhaps they want, like, perhaps they might not complement uh, each other the same way as, as McAllister well, and Caicedo did as well. So, that so many of those sense. things that are actually up for discussion. I mean, the, 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 the level of the level and the longevity of the sustainability is what's the, is the big, big question mark here. And I think that probably one of the issues that we've got here is, is that in finding Moises Caicedo, it's like we hit the jackpot very early on. We don't forget we got a season and a bit out of him before he, you know, well, before his agents decided he was off for, 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 for squillions of pounds. And I don't know the extent to which it upsets Liverpool fans the way that, that, well, I think it's, we're all looking at his agents and the fact that, you know, um, they were the ones that orchestrated the move from Brighton to, to Chelsea and that probably Liverpool, ir- irrespective of the fact that Brighton and Liverpool were, you know, had perfectly good cordial business relationship. Um, it was all about Moises probably just getting, you know, more dollar from Chelsea 
Um, and so therefore rejected Liverpool because, well, there are some people who aren't necessarily out there to enhance a player's career, maybe just enhance their own bank balance. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that was very clear. I mean, I think that was the reading that the most Liverpool fans came away from it with, in terms of uh, as as I think was reported at the time, right? The 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 invitations to to welcome the bid in, obviously, uh, and then obviously mm-hmm. using that to leverage a better offer. And so, yeah, it's of course. I I, I think, well, I, think uh, Albion, I, mean, I think in that instance, the Albion wanted to just say, look, you know, the season's you know nearly upon us. Can someone make their minds up as to whether they want this player? They didn't actually tell anyone how much they wanted, but I think Liverpool saw that the writing on the wall thought, realized how much, given how much Chelsea had been bidding. I mean, Chelsea yeah. to that extent have been mucking about. Liverpool saw the writing on the wall, extended probably more than they would have liked to have in, in offering what they did. The Albion said, fine, that'll do us. Um, I mean, we, we did actually have to put a fair amount of Liverpool fans right saying, hang on, we thought that you'd set a deadline. What's this? You're going back on it. And say, well, we're only going back on it is because Kaiseido isn't going to Liverpool. Therefore, we start all over again. And eventually Chelsea came up with a figure that realised the figure that they were going to have to come up with. Um, oh, yeah. Bit, I, yeah. So, you know, I yeah, think that... I mean, I think the only way the player was going to end up at Liverpool was if Chelsea ultimately didn't produce that money, wasn't it? Effectively, I think exactly. that's the only way. So exactly. I think, I think as, as as many Liverpool fans would have liked to believe that uh, Brighton had the power to go. Ah, sorry, love, <laughs> the, no, the deadline's passed and you'll be going to to, to Liverpool like a sending a son off to school <laughs> with no, no choice I mean, about it. Yeah, I mean, this is the point. The deadline was along the lines of right. Okay, you tell us what you're going to pay. You tell us what you're going to pay, um, and and we'll have a look at it. And and given the respective bids, Caicedo, under any other circumstances, would have been going to Liverpool. He just personally decided, or rather his agents just personally decided he wasn't going, which, I, I as I understand it, infuriated the Albion and I think quite embarrassed them as well because, you know, they'd had a deal. They'd, they'd nominally, albeit over the internet, shaken hands with, with Liverpool about this. Mm. Um, and it's yeah. it's... it's it's all a little bit sort of unsavory. I mean, I wish the guy well, but I mean, he's gone to the London Cowboys and, you know, it's a stupid <laughs> club. Um, and, yeah. you know, Not- we, we, we wish him mediocrity, let's put it that way. But yeah, <laughs> for, for, if, if Caicedo and McAllister had teamed up again at Liverpool, I think uh, that imagine- team would have been frightening. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, it's, it's led to an interesting, I mean, it, well, it, it led to an interesting conclusion to the window for, for Liverpool, I think, because they, they ended up in a situation where, like, um, aside from the signing of, 
Watara Endo, who obviously came in from Stuttgart, is uh, a 30-year-old uh, number six, like or like more dedicated defensive midfielder. Uh, effectively, what they've done instead is just purchase a number of of flexible number eights who can mm. <laughs> who can play in both positions. Um, and it's, it has also led. I mean, you mentioned McAllister. I think I think my my impression of McAllister so far is is that of a footballer who, who has a fantastic temperament and nothing seems to phase him too much. Uh, the work rate is, is is huge. The intelligence on the pitch is very clear to see. Uh, I think my only reservation so far is that because we failed to get that you know that that partner, if you will, or it's going to take a bit of time to integrate the likes of Endo into the team. Uh, very, very often we're seeing McAllister ending up back in these deeper roles, uh, where I think from just the glimpses that we have seen of him, like more advanced, it seems pretty clear that that's where he can do most of this magic in terms of, or that's perhaps where he, where he would like to be. But would love to get your view on that because I've, I've heard, I've heard different things around his he best took, position. He took, I mean, I know he was a younger player because we were talking two or three years ago, but he took a good half season to, become the player he did now admittedly that was probably because you know he'd been playing in Argentina I mean when he played his first few games for us he looked like a you know a a kid who was lost but then he hadn't been used to the Premier League's pace the the skill the tenacity um and he improved and I think he admitted it himself in fact he was he was very upset with with his own performance because you know here he has been playing for Boca Juniors um and you know he comes to a uh, sort of a, a bottom of the or bottom half Premier League side, um, and and he's finding he can't cut the mustard. So he took a little bit of time to get uh, up to speed with what he was doing. But like I say, I think that's probably more to do with getting used to England and the English paces. Now he's done that. Possibly there might be something about being at Liverpool. I mean, I suppose when you go from Argentina and then to England. You, your first place is where you get your your cultural and social um, considerations, and then you go to the next place, and you've got to be have a different professional temperament because the culture in that city or that football club is going to be different. My attitude would be, if I was you're going to stick a gun to my head, as I'd say, be patient. I would say that probably by Christmas you'll realise what a world class player he is. Um, oh yeah, but just go, oh, no, give yeah. him time to settle in. Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, I've, I've not got any doubts about the player. I, I think the, I think the only reservations I've got are uh, like a slight uh, regret that we didn't manage to get that player in uh, to yeah. do the, the the dedicated defensive job. So you could just have the likes of McAllister say, "Go and do your thing," and, and focus mm. on you know, like uh, dovetailing with the attack. But no, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure he'll 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 benefit from this experience anyway because. If Postacoglu hadn't gone to Spurs, then it would be an interesting consideration to think what was going to happen to Bissouma. Because, again, Bissouma right. was brilliant for us, and yet last season was absolutely nowhere, badly misused, and, and he looked like a, another transfer flop. Postacoglu's come in, and Bissouma is playing really well. You know, it's... Yeah, it's I think that's a very... Things. I think that's a very astute link, actually, yeah, because I think... I think what, certainly what we've seen with Liverpool over the over the seasons, uh, certainly since Klopp came in, is that then they're, they're not afraid to to sign a player who's been written off by another club uh, and and then sort of revive that player or sort of reinstill them with with confidence. I think that's certainly the plan with uh, with with Gravenberg, given sort of the way in which his time went uh, at Bayern. But yeah, we'll have to see. But 
Yeah. Just on just on Brighton, I mean, obviously, I mean, that's that does seem like it's going to be the one of the core pieces of work this season is to is to reestablish that core within the middle of the field. But it's it's obviously been a promising start to the season. Regardless, I mean, the top scorers in the league, I think, at the moment with nineteen goals in seven games, unfortunately, is also sort of like I think conceded the most outside of some of the yeah. clubs in the in the relegation zone. So, so, yeah, I mean, it makes sense we're, we're, given what we've talked about, right? It's as a sort of the core perhaps not being sort of finely tuned. It's, it's, it's going to take time given the way in which Deserbi plays. And as you, as you say, everyone's on a bit of a learning curve. But I wanted to just ask you, I mean, there's been some real like, great results already at uh, the start yeah. of the season. Uh, particularly enjoyed the drubbing of Newcastle. Particularly <laughs> enjoyed the drubbing of United, as you, I'm sure you would, you would, uh, oh, yes. you would imagine. Um, uh, just wanted to ask you about um, some of the games that have caught your eye so far this season, and perhaps even a game that hasn't gone you know, the way in which you would hope. That maybe highlights the the issues that Bright will need to work on this season. Well, probably with the exception of the the, the game against West Ham at home, where we lost three one. Um, and it's frankly, it's about time West Ham beat us. We were getting bored with thrashing them. So um, the the I think that the main uh, is no coincidence that certainly for the. The last couple of games, we've missed, we've not had Pascal Gross in the team. Now, there's an enigma wrapped in a mystery. This is a bloke we signed from Ingolstadt, who had actually been relegated to the German second division. Um, I've seen Milk turn quicker than him, and yet here he is, our all-time <laughs> Premier League leading scorer. He's got Christ knows how many assists as well. He, I mean, loves he's, Old Trafford. Loves he Old loves Trafford. Old Trafford, absolutely, yes. Um, he, uh, if you saw, if you saw the Villa game, and I really wish I hadn't, but we got stuff six one. The defence was hopelessly exposed. We had Billy Gilmore, who's twenty one, and again a prospect doing well from Chelsea, and Jack Hinshelwood, who's about twelve. Um, and Hinshelwood is kind of very much a a, a Brighton sort of Brighton slash Palace name. His his father play for the Albion um, and now manages Worthing. Um, his grandfather, who passed away recently, played for Palace. His uncle, sorry, his great-uncle played for Palace. Um, I understand his great-grandfather also played professional football for Fulham. So there's there's certainly um, uh, a dynasty there, but you're sticking an 18-year-old in the middle of midfield against John McGinn and, uh, what's his face, Douglas Louise. We're talking almost literally men against boys. He did well, but probably when you're playing in the Premier League, um, you've got to have the best. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Deserby was looking ahead to the Marseille game that we've got this week, but, you know, we were overrun. And by the time Hinshelwood came off, I'm not blaming him, but this is an 18-year-old making his debut. Um, there was an element of man against, men against boys. And by this time, you know, I think Villa had got four or five already. Um, so where we're at is um for the most part we've continued from where we left off last season and don't forget that we've only just had the first close season under deserby so there's there's other bits and pieces that we've seen um and for all the the the, the stuff that uh, fans have watched when there's the hair raising stuff or the way we pass it round the back which we've now done for 40 50 games in a row that one finally came undone against Bournemouth, which thankfully we actually went on to win. But, you know, it was the first time that had happened. And you think, well, how many times does the keeper touch it in the game? 30 times, 50 games, 1,500 times. That's the first time it happens. And, you know, it's, it's not going to stop us doing that. 
Um, and it's it's it still scares the bejesus out of every Brighton fan. And yet, when you see the reward that comes from it, when it works, um, it's absolutely wonderful. And this is the issue about the Zerbi. When the stuff works, it's a sight to behold. And and as a Brighton fan, I've not seen anything like it. Then when you listen to fans of other clubs, a lot of them, they've not seen anything like it as well. But when it doesn't work, well, I'd take you yeah. back to a Villa Park last Saturday. Yeah, I think it doesn't work. Yeah, and when it doesn't work, there's not necessarily. I mean, I think that. I mean, football fans often sort of like uh, they'll produce that uh, cliche of like, "Oh, where's the plan B?" Oh, well, no, no, the, uh, plan B is to keep doing plan A, you know, and actually refine yeah. it to the point where um, you know, because the, well, the rewards and, and are, each, are good enough. And each game that we have, plan A, B, C, probably all the way through to about K. Um, I mean, I think that a lot of fans are circumstance. Uh, they, they, they consider the fact that well, under the circumstances. It's one of those. If this was happening week in, week out, we'd be worried. Exactly. I mean, if we get, if, if if Marseille sticks six passes this week and then Liverpool do exactly the same, then you clearly see something's wrong. But every single one of those Brighton players know that they were subpar against Aston Villa, and mm. will do something about it. Whether they're capable of doing something about it is another matter. But they know they were subpar, and they will not play like that. I think Deserby made a point about the mental energy wasn't there. Um, now they know how to play the game, but there's no good pl- trying to play that game if they're going to do it at half-assed, half-paced. They have to do it with a sense of energy and vigor. And if, when, like I say, when it works, then it's great. And I think that yeah. those players, they've got the mental resolve to do so. And the reason I say they've got the mental resolve is that, and it's something you touched on earlier, was Deserby came in. Like I say, Lewis Dunk said the first two weeks it was carnage, but the fact is they were prepared to listen to him. And this is where I think that so many places like Spurs and Chelsea over the past three or four years haven't worked because they've got players with egos the size of Edinburgh who just will not listen to a manager that they don't respect or know or care about. And I think this is where Graham Potter came unstuck. His ideas, he was trying to put them across. They seemed bizarre to us. For us, they worked because the players bought into it. Whereas Chelsea, I don't think they did. They said, who are you? What are you doing? This don't work. I'm a forward. I'm a this. I'm a that. And they didn't want to know. I think that Graham Potter will come back into football at some point and get a very good job. But I also think the Chelsea players have got to look at themselves and, and, and think we could and should have done so much better for this bloke and they didn't actually bother their asses to do so. Yeah, and I think the importance of belief in a system or on, on approach is 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 really obvious. And I, I was thinking about last season actually, in the way in which uh, Liverpool sort of floundered around for a while to sort of figure out what what new system would work with, like after the realization that maybe certain players were beyond their beyond their peak. Uh, yeah. And you, you could see actually, even these players who won everything under Klopp, like starting to just like. Not really buying into what they were being told in terms of sort of the tactical approach, and it was it was only until they had, like the, the the final quarter of the season where you could start to see them go, hang on, are you, okay, okay, so we're now doing this, and oh, yeah, it's working. When, when, it's, I, when, when, when belief, Brian played Liverpool, there was twice in January. Um, there was the league ah, game, yeah. and then there was the FA Cup game. Of course, we're going to go back to this because uh, you know it was a, basically a half paced Liverpool side. Now the we, we're we're into sort of the, the philosophy here. Was it were they, were they relatively comfortable Brighton wins because um, we were so good or was it because Liverpool were so poor? And I think it might be a better sort of six and two threes. Yeah. Liverpool, if they weren't going to be against it, they could probably still turn anyone over. But if Brighton were going to be on it against the team that weren't, 
And you could say about any team, if they're not on their game that day, then they're, they're turnoverable looking at Wolves against Man City last weekend. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and like, so I think it was, I can't remember if it, it was the FA Cup game where we realized after a while, Liverpool are actually, all they're doing now is sticking their studs in. And, and I'd be curious actually, and I know it's, this is from about 10 months ago now, but I'm thinking, was it Fabinho who nearly mm. took, um, Evan Ferguson's leg off. You had Jordan Henderson trying to go through McAllister. It's a good job mm. Henderson left. Then otherwise that would be, <laughs> that would be a cute thing. You had, um, Robertson trying to go, trying to take, um, Undav's leg off. And there could have easily been some red cards there. I mean, I, I, I'd just be quickly, you know, I'd be interested in your point of view here. Mm. When you saw Fabinho's face on the telly there, knowing full well he'd actually just run his studs down the back of Ferguson's leg. Every aspect, every muscle in his face said, I'm about to get a red card here. Were you surprised when he didn't get one? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, I mean, I could probably go back and dig up a a tweet from that moment, but I think I, I I'm pretty sure I said, <laughs> I said it should have been a red card. I mean, I think, I, I think we, we witnessed him. Uh, I mean, I mean, my opinion on Fabinho is that he was, he was asked to do the legwork of others for too long and actually ended up sort of really declining quite sharply, quite quickly in front of our eyes. And sure. yeah, I mean, he was making these tackles that he just would never have made about a year or so before. Cause he just couldn't keep up. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think that should have been a red card and I'm not surprised by the physical approach in that second game because I think that they, they were just looking for any way to match Brighton and they'd realized that they, they couldn't match them trying to play the same way they used to play because the, mm. I think, I think the way I was phrasing it to, to, to friends last season was that the, the engine room, if you will, had rusted up. It was, it was all rusted up and uh, yeah. we weren't able to go through the gears anymore. Uh, now look, we've got look a brand new engine. It was in our engine room, those games, you know. Aha, uh-huh, exactly. It was, yeah. it was very, very difficult to compete in that, but. This will be a different game, obviously this this weekend. You mentioned Marseille tomorrow. Liverpool will have obviously have a game against Union uh, Sajamada as well. And Tony Blue's on the club. Yes, Kevin McAllister. Uh, That's what I'm looking forward (laughs) to seeing. Seeing Kevin uh, again face off against his brother. Uh, I already saw some. uh, Comments from uh, Alexis saying that he hopes to make him suffer, which we obviously <laughs> like to see from see from brothers. But uh, I, I mean, I, this is obviously new territory for the club. You know, adapting to you know, having European competition to deal with alongside 
uh, the the exerts in the league. And you mentioned Zerbi, they're talking about mental fatigue as well. How, how do you, I mean, it's, it's still very early days, but I mean, how you, how do you think the club is finding that that challenge? Because it, it, it is a challenge, that that turnaround from you know, playing Thursday then playing Sunday. It's difficult for players with with you know, bigger squads, but I mean, how how do you think Brighton are? Um, it's it's tricky. I think it? the, the thing that's concerning the fans, and I think Deserby touched on it, um, was a comment he made. I think it was after we beat Bournemouth. I can, but he'd made, he was, he's been making six, seven, eight changes in order to rotate. And I think he's also he's he's considered it himself that he's actually making too many changes from game to game. You know, um, Balmy's make three or four, but he's making seven or eight. It's as if you're going from league game to league cup game to back to league game. And of course, they're not. They're league to league to Europe to league to Europe. And I think there's, there still has to be a, a level of consistency. He's got in, in, in vogue at the moment that Verbruggen and Steele, who are the two goalkeepers, are playing alternate games. I'm not convinced by that. So I think if anything, there's the learning curve is what we, ch- what we, what we're finding different. What we're finding different is I think that we actually need to have a, a more consistent team being put out. I mean, there are players who can fit in and play the system, but you'll have that extra advantage if you have the same players doing it because they'll know that my mate's about to go there and I'm going to pass it there. Whereas the next person who's playing with them isn't going to do that. Is that kind of, that ESP thing where, yes, you can have as many systems as you like, but sometimes you just have to do something a bit cute to get past the defender who's going to otherwise clatter you. Um, and if you've got a more stable, consistent 11 that's starting, then I think that we could work on that a little bit better. Yes, I can acknowledge that two or three players need to change just because of fatigue, but when it's seven or eight, then you're looking at other problems. So I'd like to see more of a level of consistency. Yeah, no, I know you mean. It's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm never surprised when I see a vastly changed Liverpool side and then I watch <laughs> an incredibly disjointed wow. performance, yeah. usually around Christmas work. is when it happens. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. So then on to the weekend's game. I mean, I'm, I'm expecting a different, uh, sort of different sort of contest. Well, I'm expecting a more competitive contest just in the way and sort of I think that Liverpool have improved in the areas in which they were very weak last season, but I'm still expecting it to be very competitive given sort of the qualities that Brighton have. Um, not necessarily looking forward to uh, Mitoma potentially <laughs> butter, <laughs> buttering his toast with Trent again. Uh, if, if, if Trent should start, uh, we have seen Joe Gomez playing in that position. While Trent's been out, but yeah, expecting a more like combative midfield contest anyway. I would, I would say, from what I've seen, I would say that Liverpool have improved from last season. Yes, I would also say as much as we've we've, we've had some you know scoring lots of goals, maybe it's it's down to expectation. But I wouldn't say we've stagnated. But we, I don't think we've improved the way that Liverpool or Chelsea have, or maybe I'll say Chelsea got. I mean, sorry, not Chelsea, uh, Spurs have, right. Um, so, I mean, if Pascal Gross, Lalana, and what have you, they're back, that's fine. Matoma hasn't really hit the, the heights yet. He had a, he scored a worldie against Wolves where he ran through the entire defense and they all tried to, to take him down. But there's been games where his decision making, his, his distribution, his, you know, is, is not been as good as it could or should be. 
So we've got one or two players that are playing a little bit under par. Now, admittedly, I'm probably being uh, tainted by the whole Villa game, the whole Villa performance thing, where no one really had a decent game. But then I'm also thinking a game against Bournemouth, the, the one previous to that, certainly the first half. Again, no one had a good game. A lot better the second half. You know, when you got De Zerbi saying that game against Bournemouth was the worst one in my time here, then you look at the next one and you think, what's the meme say? Hold my beer. Um, so there's clearly, if, if there's certainly the last two games, De Zerbi has not been happy with the performance. So, ironically, um, I'm just wondering whether, I don't say Marseille's a free hit because we do want to make inroads into into this competition. But I think they need to sort of sort themselves out a little bit ahead of the game on Sunday. Thankfully, um, you know, Liverpool are going to be playing Thursday. There's, there's not going to be the same sort of rest issues. Albeit, I think you guys are at home, aren't you, this Thursday? Yeah, it's a home game. Yeah. Now, admittedly, thankfully, we're not coming back from the arse end of Kazakhstan. It's, it's only an hour and a half's flight to Marseille. Um, but... Um, assuming that fatigue isn't going to be necessarily an issue. Um, yeah, I don't think we're going to have the same uh, fun, let's put it that way, that we had last season, certainly in those two games in January. I just cannot see it happening. And given that our defence is actually leaking goals, hemorrhaging goals for fun, I mean, you know, a clean sheet would be just a, a start, thank you very much. Mm, I was going to say, has has there been a any of the new additions for Liverpool that's caught your eye or anything like in the games you haven't you have come across or not really? Not really. No, I think it's just sort of like a general improvement. I think I'm, I'm admittedly look, thinking of the Liverpool that I saw in January, which I thought was a yeah, little bit half paced. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, I think even that first game we won three 0 I think Klopp admitted that not long afterwards said, "Look, you know, we could have carried on playing until midnight. We, we, we wouldn't have scored, so we wouldn't have won." So. You know, I think it's sort of there was a, gr- a grudging acknowledgement of the defeat that actually, while saying you know Liverpool weren't good, yeah, Brighton were good. Um, I think that that gap certainly has closed. Um, I mean, and as much as we can, we well, I think we just seem to do better against those bigger teams on account of the fact that just because of their confidence, it offers us more space. Um, Bournemouth closed us down; they they harried us a lot. And we, and we suffered for it, and it took a couple of substitutions to sort that out. Whereas, you know, we play Newcastle, we play Man U, whose press, incidentally, in both cases was half-assed, and we and we and we went through them. You know, I, I think that every every Liverpool player that played in in January at the at the Amex in both uh, either or both of those games will know that they've got to be on their on their metal. They can't go into it, um, you know, the way they did then. However. Um, I think also Brighton can't go into the game either in the way that they have in the last couple of games. Mm. So it's not going to be the the fun fest that we had in January. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I'm sure there's plenty of Liverpool fans who are definitely not hoping for a repeat of that uh, of that fun fest for sure. Not and quite. I think, no. I think, yeah, perhaps perhaps it will be. I mean, I I think one thing that could come out of the whole VAR discussion that we ended up beginning the conversation with is uh, if, if 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 a manager is to look at the situation and go, well, I could probably sort of use this to sort of foster a, a little bit of a siege mentality thing, you know, us against the world uh, mentality, if you will, 
I guess that should hopefully be useful for a few more games anyway. Well, the thing is, Klopp could do that, but actually, I, th- I still think that it's... I, I say, I mean, he didn't need... For me, he, he didn't, didn't need, need that, to me. say anything. I think he could have actually maintained a little bit more dignity about it. I know that he didn't say, I insist that we have a replay, because that would be petulant. But um, I prefer sort of like a deserby approach when I say, I've got nothing to say because I'll get into trouble. Um, I don't yeah. think I can't help thinking that Klopp likes getting into trouble. <laughs> I, th- I think I think he does. <laughs> I think it's part of he the, really uh... isn't backwards at coming forwards, and you know every time they slap him on the wrist, they say, "Well, twenty grand, all right. Now can I call you a complete?" You know, <laughs> yeah, I think he, I think he, he he tries his best. I, mean, I think I think in the immediate aftermath of the game, I was I was amazed by how restrained he was. But I think he's probably heard that recording, like everyone else. Well, you hear that recording, <laughs> then it detonate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, as I understand it, for the for that Palace one where I was saying about the wrong line, I remember being in the press box, and I was sitting next to the guy who does the commentary for BBC Sussex, um, and his co-commentator is um, as, as for a long time has been Warren Aspinall. But it was also with the, um, uh, I think, what they call them. It's basically the press officer of the album. They got a head of media or something. They call it something like that. And when, when we saw the screen for the way that goal was disallowed, we thought, well, we can't really tell from that. There was no flag, but what we didn't see, which was not what we normally would do is those VAR lines that, you know, to show bang offside, bang off onside, whatever it might be. And so we didn't get to see the lines. And I'm thinking, well, we're not satisfied that that was actually correct. I'd still like to see it. It might be correct. I'd still like to see it. But those lines weren't there, didn't show it. And I think it was someone in America who was watching the game live over there on the telly. They did put the lines up. And that's when they then showed it that they got it on the wrong defender. And this was at half time. And I went to the head of media. I said, look, look. And I'm showing them my phone. I said, look. You know, they've got it on the wrong line. And he's gone back to me and said, no, you're just being too bright and centric. You just, you know, you've got to be more circumspect. You've got to, you know, (laughs) and then I got a phone call in the evening saying, actually, you were right. Sorry about that. Deserby's just seen it and he's detonated. Yeah, I think it's, I, th- I think it probably was one of those situations. I mean, I, I know for sure that the one thing that we have got from the recording, uh, which is a gift in itself at times is, uh, I'm pretty sure that's a new that's a new meme anyway, isn't it? That uh, like w- well done, boys, good process. Which I think is going to be. Are you happy with this image? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think that actually now, if anything, it's a red letter day that things are bottomed out, and that you'd hope in, in in web. I mean, effectively, you could also argue in not he hasn't defended his VAR colleagues. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's throwing them under the bus, but he has now put in in motion, or he should put in motion, a whole number of things which actually make out that, I mean, you can't, it's just for the sake of being human, you can't say it won't happen again, but will be vastly reduced, those incidents. Mm-hmm. Because like I say, it's like he's actually just opened the curtains um, on in, into the world of VAR, and everyone has gone in and thinking, my God, what a pigsty. Absolutely. Anyway, Alan, I want to sort of let you go and, and thank you for your for your time. That, and for, your, for your insight as well. It's been, I think, yeah. I can from, breathe from, now. I can go and from, breathe. From starting off with a VAR discussion that could have probably lasted hours to, to some of the insight on Brighton. Really appreciate you, uh, you coming on. Not at all.
And just to wrap things up uh, for everyone listening in, obviously that uh, there will be another rivalry con pod ahead of the game. A little bit of break now, actually, uh, between uh, the, the Brighton game and the next one. But of course, the next one promises to be a fun one, uh, which is uh, the Merseyside Derby on the 21st of October. So do tune in for another episode uh, ahead of the Derby. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.